Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Bob Salzberg is out today. Joe Wren, the host of Indiana News Desk, is joining me. Bloomington city leaders have been planning to expand the Monroe County Convention Center for years. Project plans are moving forward. Developers have been chosen and project plans were approved earlier this year. Two public forums were held in the spring to help develop site layouts and building plans. And a convergence design principal, David Russell says this project has been the most extensive public outreach for a project his firm has ever done. The firm is expected to come back to the city this month with a cost proposal to begin design work. Today, we have three guests in the studio. Mick Reniason is the deputy mayor of Bloomington and a member of the Bloomington-Monroe County Convention and Visitors Bureau Board. We have John Weikart. He's the Monroe County Convention Center Steering Committee member. Delisha Kopik is the executive director of Downtown Bloomington, Inc. and the Monroe County Convention Center. And then in the second half, Dan O'Connell, who's the president and CEO of Visit Fort Wayne, will join us. Thank you all for being here today. You can join the program today by tweeting at Noon Edition or calling in at 812-855-0811. John, as a member of the steering committee, I want to just start with you, and you can give us an update on where we are on the project. Sure. Let me, um, let me go back historically and try to go through this as, as quickly as possible. Um, th- this part of the process uh, started in uh, April of 2017 uh, when the uh, county commissioners uh, put a group a group together, an advisory commission together, uh, to review um, respondents to an RFQ that was put out to the uh, uh, public in terms of anyone or developers interested in either building a hotel or expanding the current project or, or both. Um, that process uh, then led to the creation in um, uh, the summer of 2018 of a steering committee, a nine-member steering committee, that replaced that original advisory commission. And the nine-member steering committee has uh, four elected officials, uh, the mayor, um, a member of the city council, a member of the county council, and a member of the county commissioners, as well as uh, five uh, resident appointees. Uh, in uh, in early fall, uh, the, the steering commission uh, steering committee moved forward and uh, put out requests for architects who were interested in the expansion of the uh, public side of the project, the the expansion of the convention center, because the city and the county had agreed to split the projects at that point, uh, keeping the hotel project and the expansion separate. Uh, so from that process, we interviewed uh, seven or eight uh, architects, if memory serves correctly. Uh, the uh, steering committee uh, made a unanimous recommendation that uh, Convergence Architects, uh, with Schmidt as a uh, partner, be um, um, contracted with in terms of the expansion of the convention center project. So uh, that having moved forward, uh, Convergence and Schmidt have met with us uh, on a couple of occasions. They were here in uh, this past month and held uh, three days' worth of public charrettes where the public could come in, uh, express um, you, you mentioned concerns. I think it was more express ideas and think about ideas and concepts about what what was possible uh, in terms of the expansion of the convention center. And uh, now we are to the point where we've reviewed the uh, input the public provided, and uh, Convergence and Schmidt will be back with us at our next meeting to give us um, economic and cost estimates of those uh, proposals as we've reviewed them. Uh, the steering committee is a recommending body. We're an advisory body. Um, we, we recommend to the four elected officials uh, who are also part of our group, and they actually are the uh, deciding authority in terms of how decisions are made to move the project forward. So that's kind of in a nutshell where we are at this point. So I'm jumping ahead quite a bit, but how far away are we from breaking ground on an expansion then? Is that well, still years away, or well, I don't know. I don't know that we would say years away. I think we've seen different projections that would have us into uh, next year, certainly maybe twenty twenty one, in terms of where we are. I think there are 
Um, there are still issues being discussed among the, uh, the, the partners in the project, the city and the county, that need to be resolved that will help move this forward. Okay. I think there's some sense of timeline, uh, given that steps in the process are predictably uh, timed and, and have a, a beginning and an end. And we know that once we get to the design phase, we're not there yet. We're still talking about site plans and conceptual um, sizing and scale of the, of the structure that might be built. Uh, but if, when we get to that part, then design's about nine months to a year, bidding another three months, construction about 18 months. So if you add all that up, we have a, you know several years' worth of work, and we really haven't gotten to the point where we're in the actual uh, discussion about what's it going to look like, uh, how many chairs and tables will be in there, what will the drapes look like, all the details. We're not at that point yet. Okay. Talisha, can you just talk, I guess, back up a little bit and talk about just the need for this and how the convention center is currently being used and what you see in the new space? Well, um, the current building is a 1923 building, and it was renovated in 1991 as part of the whole downtown revitalization process and bringing people into the community. We really wanted to get into the tourism industry. So almost immediately from when that space opened, it was full. Um, We've averaged 400 to 600 events a year um, and different types of events. They could be conferences and conventions, associations, meetings, banquets, public shows. Um, so all of those types of events use the space a little bit differently. So, you know, what we've learned over that time is that um, – you know, you need the larger space, you know, like a larger 40,000-square-foot exhibit hall would allow us to get into some new markets. Uh, and uh, also, we really want to do more of the Sunday through Thursday business and uh, citywide um, uh, events that, you know, impact um, – you know, the hotels and um, the walkability and connectivity of downtown. And um, so it's it's been very strong, very popular almost from the very beginning. So because of that, we've been doing things. We've done a couple of renovations. We've purchased some land. Um, we, you know, to prepare for this day, really, of whenever we had a, another funding source to be able to do uh, an expansion. Okay. And, and we yeah, have lost business as well. Um, even just last year, we estimated about a $3 million impact in lost business. And, um, you know, conferences, for example, are seasonal, and they want to meet in the spring and the fall. And uh, date is important. The size of space is important. Um, but we have a large alumni group here. We have the strongest destination in Indiana, be behind Indianapolis. Um, but we have the smallest convention center. So it's a, it's a opportunity to take care, you know, take advantage of a really good growing business, um, and also service a lot of our local meeting needs as well. Mm-hmm. You may not uh, know this per se, but is there uh, maybe a percentage of how many groups are coming from outside of Bloomington? Because I know there are a lot of groups in Bloomington that use it as well. Is it kind of 50-50 or is it hard to say? Well, I'd say about 70% of our business has a local contact. Um, For example, the Indiana Geographical Information Council is there today for three days. It's a conference of 250 people. Um, They have a lot of local contacts here at IU who've brought their peers in to learn about different things. Um, So it's, you know, it's an educational center. Um, There was an earthquake uh, trailer that you could get inside and feel what an earthquake looks like. And uh, so it's just a good opportunity for people to learn. Uh, Bloomington loves to get together, and they love to meet, and they love to discuss. And uh, so whether it's economic or social topics, um, so I'd say about 70% have a local contact or a local group. 30% are completely out of town that have out-of-town contacts. So then is there like a strategy or goal in your mind for expanding the center in terms of are you trying to bring in more people from out of town, or are you just trying to keep what you have going? Well, I think we'd like to do two events on one day. You know, we'd like to have this group and then another group. Uh, we'd like to get into some of the sporting activities, which we can't now at all. The medical industry has a lot of meetings. They need exhibit space for their vendors to do business. Um, so, you know, the, we'll probably have about the same number of events, but there'll be larger numbers of people attending. With my visit Bloomington hat on as well as Deputy Mayor hat, I think uh, Talisha mentioned Sunday through Thursday business, and that's really your convention business. We have pretty much filled hotels a lot of times of the year. Most people know that from 
the university's activities, whether that's athletic events or festivals that, that the city and the county have created. And so our, our weekend business is pretty good, but when they leave on Sunday, we have a lot of vacancy, and we'd like to fill that vacancy with more of the convention business. And you can have both a what we would call a civic event, a local meeting, at the same time as you have a convention if we have enough space. And currently, we think we're lacking that space, and we'd like to be able to do both, uh, more of both, but certainly more Sunday through Thursday business. Can you talk a little bit, Mick, about how this will be funded and how we landed on this $30 million number? Oh, I'd love to. That number gets out, and, uh, you know, that's a projection. That number came from a study seven years ago when this uh, convention center expansion was, was being studied. And it suggested that if a food and beverage tax was enabled, and it hadn't been then, and it just was in uh, December of 2017, that once that was enabled, it could produce about $30 million of bondable debt that you could use for an expanded convention center. So that projection turned out to be true. That is about what it's going to produce, and where the city and the county are currently looking at uh, financial resources available for the project. The city's amassed some land around the site. The county's purchased some land around the site, all making us well-positioned for the expansion and the ancillary facilities that have to go with that. Besides some number of square footage of exhibit hall and meeting rooms, we also need a host hotel. We need parking infrastructure and maybe another hotel down the road that can be built on this property and probably 25 years from now, another expansion of the convention center. That's kind of the way you would envision it to happen. So I would say the city and county have done a great job of amassing the available resources, and that's what the steering committee is dealing with now. First and foremost, where's the best site for this particular expansion, the host hotel, parking infrastructure, and future development around the site that will complement the expansion and the economic development opportunities that will be created there. So we don't know much more beyond the $30 million of what's available. You, those are the things that we're working on with our financial advisor, and that work has just begun. But that's the number that you're trying to then work within? Well, I wouldn't so, say that. I'd, no. say that's, <laughs> I'd say that's the biggest pot that we will have, and it's the newest um, resource, the newest funding resource that's been made available. And, and I want to thank the county council who voted for that. If that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. And that was a contentious vote, four to three. And, um, you know, some people still probably disagree with the way that, that the tax was enabled, but it is, and we're working towards using that in the most effective way to generate economic impact for our community. So that's sort of that new number is the baseline of what's available. Will there be other resources available? We're looking into those discussions right now. And that's part of what's happening right now is de- determining exactly what what does $30 million get you or what Maybe you need a 500-seat, you were saying how many chairs earlier, or a 300-seat banquet hall. That's just part of this process. And I think earlier, too, you said there's really have been no delays because you want to get it right. So is, is, there's no really set boundaries to saying by May 30, 30th, we're going to have a design, right? Yeah, that's right. There's, you know, normally when you do a project, my parks history says you want to be open by a certain date. And there's a real hard date reason for that. Like, you know, open Twin Lake Sports Park, there's a league that starts on April 15th. If you're not open, you don't have that league. This is a little different. We don't have a hard date, but we certainly know that time costs additional expense, and we don't want to lose the momentum we have. At the same time, when we be thoughtful, the city and the county together and our private sector partners, and that means the hotelier, to move along in a path that works for everybody and generates the kind of project that we want at the end of the day. So um, this one has about a two-and-a-half-year window once we start design, and all through those steps, once that starts, there'll be parallel tracks that have to happen as well. But there is no hard date. We don't have to be open by January 1 of 2022. Now, Talisha will argue, (laughs) I need to know when we're going to be open because I've got to sell, and convention business is typically sold two to five years out. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll let her elaborate on the impacts of not knowing a date and and how that might impact uh, the operational side. Yeah, does that kind of leave you in a pinch right now? Well, um, we are planning on being operational as much as we possibly can through this construction. We've worked with the architects and talked to them about that. So, I mean, right now we're booked all the way through 2020. We're starting to look at, you know, even just our current building uh, bookings in 2021. Um, But I think 
the innkeepers uh, group is kind of gearing up for, you know, additional sales staff that will be needed, additional promotion. We've got a couple of uh, big trade shows that are coming up this summer that uh, it's a good opportunity to get on their calendars because they're looking at their conferences uh, three or four years. Um, we had a, an event a couple of weeks ago that booked six years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, some of our – that's one of the ways that I think, like, the out-of-town groups and the local groups work well together. The out-of-town groups are going to be about a year out whenever – because they have attendees who need to make hotel arrangements. And and so most of our local groups are probably about three to four months lead time, sometimes a couple of weeks. So that's a good way to, you know, meet some community needs but at the same time get the economic impact that the out-of-town groups bring and support – you know, all of our different facilities, the the group that's there today, they went to Wonder Lab last night for a reception. They went on a, uh, a restaurant uh, tour yesterday. Um, so, you know, they're walking the beeline. They're out supporting the amenities that we love in this community, you know, whether it's the comedy or music or plays. Um, those out-of-town visitors help support all of that that we can enjoy every day. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking about the Monroe County Convention Center expansion. You can join the conversation at 812-855-0811 or tweet us at Noon Edition. John, I want to ask you about – do you want to add something first? No, I just wanted to, uh, wanted to say that I, I remember during the food and beverage tax um, discussion well, with the county council, one of the um, perhaps misperceptions – was that uh, all of the money from the food and beverage tax was going to go to the convention center. And uh, there's a portion of those dollars that are collected through the food and beverage tax. Uh, which uh, And the food and beverage tax is dedicated to economic development and tourism. Uh, there's a portion of those funds that, in fact, are uh, set aside and committed for that kind of activity in the western part of the county. So Ellettsville, for instance, uh, receives a portion of that money. So so all of the money being collected is not going to the convention center. The, the, the community and the county much more broadly are benefiting from that tax. Okay. I, I want to ask you about just the community involvement in this and just so many public meetings. It seems like – is that unusual? I mean, it just seems like um, the county and city are really doing a lot to get public input. And how important is that? Well, it's it's extremely important given given where we are. I mean, we're a very engaged community. Uh, Mick and I were talking before the program. I've become sort of the chronicler of how many times we've had public meetings. And uh, by my last count, we've had over 31 public meetings uh, on this project, going clear back to uh, April of 2017 when the advisory commission began to meet. So that included advisory commission meetings. Uh, two city council meetings, uh, two county council meetings, multiple county commissioner meetings, and then that rolled over when the steering uh, committee was created to, in- to include additional public meetings uh, that have been held by that group and meetings with the architects, the charrettes last week, so or not last week, but in the past month. So we've had over 31 uh, public meetings and, and at various times during the day and at various locations. And, uh, and, and CATS has been involved in those. So, you know, you can, if, you, if you can't make it to a meeting, you're able to see those meetings. So uh, I, I think we're pretty much in agreement that we've made uh, um, great efforts to make sure the public's aware of what we're doing, that they can attend these meetings, and if they can't attend, they can see them. And I would add that uh, the architectural firm, at the Syrian Committee's request, has a public blog that updates anyone who wants to go, click on the link, can find out what's the most recent activity of the steering committee and what's coming next. So agendas, minutes, renderings of uh, the site plan so far, all that's up on a public blog so that people can check in whenever they need to. What have been some of the most frequently asked questions that you've gotten or opinions from people just in regards to it? Well, I think I think some of some of them generally have been, um, and we've had these discussions ourselves. The relationship between a convention center and civic center, and I want to repeat what's already been said, and it's been very important throughout this process that we not lose the civic nature of the center. That it's also con- and it continues to be available uh, to local groups. Uh, and sometimes convention center can can imply something other than that particular usage. Uh, you know, I'm. Uh, you, know, you know, we've had we had questions early on uh, under the advisory commission role when we made presentations to the county council, and we were presenting a concept, and we had some colored blocks up, and we were showing what was all possible, and 
And people began to argue about, you know, the was that where the garage needs to be or what are those gerbil uh, tubes <laughs> that lead from one place to another? And we were, we were trying to make certain that people understood, we, you know, we were in a concept uh, stage at that point. So I think it's quite natural. People want to leap forward to what's it going to look like. And, um, uh, you know, clear to and, and being the community we are, I'm sure we'll have very vigorous discussions about landscaping and about uh, uh, aesthetics. And it's been very important that we make sure we're keeping the center unique to Bloomington. And I'm sure we will continue to have those discussions uh, early on. You know, there, there, we, were, we were cognizant of the fact that uh, the current location for the convention center and issues like expansion or parking garages, how were we careful not to intrude into neighborhoods, into core neighborhoods? And we wanted to make certain um, that neighborhoods were aware of what we were doing. We um, uh, very broadly advertised the public meetings that we had to include uh, chambers of commerce from both Ellettsville and Bloomington, uh, the local independent restaurant, restaurant association group. Um, any group you could think of, we were the university, any group you could think of, we were making certain they were made aware of the meetings uh, and, and could come to those meetings and hear what we were discussing and have input into those meetings. So, you know, I, I think quite naturally people tend to leap forward to design aspects, to what's it going to look like and uh, where's it going to be, and, and, and we aren't quite there yet. But uh, uh, and, and then early on there was, you know, obviously discussion about the food and beverage tax. Uh, whether people considered that an appropriate uh, action for the county council to take. And uh, and without that action, as Mick said, there wouldn't be an expansion of the convention center. Yeah. I wanted to get to Alicia's take on that, too, because I know you have to take off soon. But there there is that little bit of a debate of – and I, that's the first time I've heard civic center, but I think that's a good way of describing as versus a convention center. I know a lot of people at some of those forums – there are people that live here, and they want to use it, too. And so they're thinking, oh, it should have restaurants, and there should be stores. And, and, and it's like, well, I don't know if that's really the definition of what people are looking for as a convention center. So what, what, what are you hearing? Well, I think uh, unique spaces are really popular now. Authentic experiences are important. Uh, but then also you need kind of that space to spread out. And really a convention center means that it has an exhibit hall with it. Like what that does is then it allows you to get a group that will use breakout spaces and the exhibit hall and a ballroom. Um, it also ha- you know tends to mean multipurpose space. So I think that multipurpose aspect of it, the flexibility of it is essential um, so that we can have a, you know, we've got such a diverse community um, and you want to like have it flexible enough so that you can, you know, stage it with equipment that's portable as opposed to having like, you know, firm walls. So, you know, it's all about your booking practices more so than like your actual physical space of between a civic and a convention center. And I mean, we are all about our local community. I mean, they are so many people that's, you know, a lot of those stakeholders were customers that um, are our neighbors and they have very definite like, you know, needs for their events. We do 30 different fundraisers for non-for-profits. Um, 40% of our business is corporation, like Catalan's having a job fair this weekend. Um, Cook Medical uses breakout space. So, you know, it's kind of like your, your local um, people who need to have events, like wedding receptions or reunions or proms or father-daughter dances. Um, there's like the corporations who need training and education so that they don't have to bring their events and take them out of town. Um, so they're, we're very committed to our local group, and I think, uh, and then they also help us bring out of town people in. Um, several of these different committees, like the Parks and Rec Association, for example, has uh, a local group that agrees to host. Um, Glaucujo was just here last summer. It was the residential halls, and they brought all the residential halls from around the country here to Bloomington. So it's a good opportunity for our local folks to uh, show off uh, the Bloomington community, too. That's one of the main purposes of this is be able to tell our story through events. So you mentioned uh, restaurants and retail and those things. Now, that typically wouldn't be built in the contents of this space. So let's just describe well what you need, flexible, high-ceiling movable walls and you can use it for anything civic convention trade show concert that's the kind of space we'll be building however both the city and the county see this area as a great opportunity to redevelop largely surface parking lots all the way south to second street and north to to fourth street 
And so if you look at the 4th Street side, and the convention center today is on 3rd, and you go a block north, one of the sites being considered, you're a block from the downtown and all the restaurants and retail that you need. Maybe some of that gets stretched to the south, too, which will build up over time as the area develops. And we'd like to see that, I think, both the city and the county. We know we have a vibrant downtown, but it's delicate. You can't take that for granted. Those of you who've lived in Bloomington long enough remember the 70s and 80s here, and the downtown was not what it is today. So you have to always look at the right mix of those things. And we believe, all of us, I think, that a convention center is part of that mix that helps keep the downtown businesses active Right now, as we've all noted, we could drive around anywhere we want to in Bloomington for the next couple of months, and then we can't again. So those restaurants struggle. Half the population isn't here. The the convention business and the meeting business can fill that void and help those restaurants and retail businesses continue to be successful. So it's all part of a big economic development strategy that is part, and this is just a piece of that. You know, and if if I might add, um, in terms of sharing success, uh, you know, one of the issues that we that we currently face with the convention center is that Courtyard by Marriott is not large enough to book the number of rooms that might be necessary for expanded um, convention goers. So, you know, an, an anchor hotel is going to be key to this. But even an anchor hotel, and we've all been to conferences, you know, you know, they're, you know we're used to the early bird registration when you're in the hotel and then a second tier registration, you're in a hotel that may be a block away. And, uh, and and this this whole project had support locally uh, from local restaurateurs from the other hotels uh, because they realize they will benefit from this as well. Uh, so uh, you know that that success and the creation of jobs that's been projected, uh, either full time jobs related to a hotel, additional jobs that would be needed in service industries, whether it's restaurants, whether it's transportation uh, for additional convention goers. Uh, and, you know, Mick mentioned uh, site, and, you know, and, th- and that's still an issue that obviously the partners are, are going to continue to look at as, we make, as they make this decision. Because originally in the process, it, it had been envisioned we were moving southward, and there, were, there was talk of later connectivity to whatever becomes of the hospital site. Um, a new development gives the opportunity to move northward. So, uh, you know, that still needs to be examined, and, and the partners need to make decisions about where they want to go. Mm-hmm. We do have to take a short break. I want to thank you for coming on, Talisha. I know you need to, to go you. at the half hour. So thank you so much. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and today we're talking about the Monroe County Convention Center and convention centers across the state. In the second half of the show, we'll be joined with, joined by someone from Fort Wayne to talk about the convention center project there. You can join the program at 812-855-0811 or tweet us at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Sarah Whitmire, joined today by co-host Joe Wren. Today we're talking about convention centers and the Moreau County Convention Center expansion. Our guests are Mick Reniason. He's the deputy mayor and member of the Bloomington Monroe County Convention and Visitors Bureau. We have John Weikart. He's on the Monroe County Convention Center Steering Committee. And we have Dan O'Connell joining us in the second half. He's the president and CEO of Visit Fort Wayne. Thank you all again for being here. And a reminder, you can join the conversation at 812-855-0811, or you can tweet us at Noon Edition. Dan, I want to go to you first here in the second half and just learn a little bit about the project. I think you were undergoing an expansion in Fort Wayne. Well, Fort Wayne's uh, Grand Wayne Convention Center has been here since 1989 when it was first opened, and then it was expanded again in 2006, 
and uh, it's been very successful for our destination. And we're currently in the throes of, of adding additional hotel rooms to the uh, package. By July, we're opening a 135-room Hampton Inn directly across the street from the Grand Wayne Center, and that's the current expansion project as we felt the need to add more hotel inventory to our expansion that we completed in 2006. It's interesting to me that so many Indiana towns, cities it seems like, are investing in convention centers. We've been reporting on Terre Haute and Columbus and Kokomo, Kokomo, I think. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering if there's competition for conventions. Well, there's a lot of competition for convention, uh, convention, trade shows, uh, special events, uh, corporate meetings all across the United States. Uh, what we're finding is that uh, the destinations have to have more than chicken and chairs. <laughs> they have to have a destination that's uh, desirable, uh, amenities in close proximity to their convention centers, and the better packages are, are winning the, the battle. But to uh, get the economic impact from these very large and fruitful and profitable uh, events, so I'm I'm curious, Mick, maybe you can chime in. Just is that something, I mean, do you still think we'll be able to book this convention center? Is there a lot of competition here in Monroe County? Or There is competition with, with our long away neighbors in Fort Wayne and in Muncie and in South Bend and Evansville and French Lick and Terre Haute when they come out of the box and, and other regional centers, of course. Uh, everyone's competing for some of the same business. So we have to differentiate ourselves. Some of that is in the asset that you built, what it structured like, what it's priced like, what kind of flexibility is, it has in terms of usage. And then some of it's just what, what advantages do you have in your community? Do you have the right support structure, the hotels, uh, the, the restaurants and retail? How close are you to those things? One thing to have a convention center on the interstate where you go to the O'Charlies, it's another thing to have a bunch of local uh, unique shops and restaurants right outside your door like we will have in Bloomington. We have the advantage of having 600,000 living IU alumni around the world who want to come back to Bloomington. And that's an advantage we really sell in the market. We try to get maybe they've created a business or they're part of an association. And they say, hey, it'd be great if we went to Bloomington. They just expanded their convention center. Maybe we should take our trade show, our conference, our meeting to that location. So that's going to be a big asset for us to sell that would differentiate us from some of our peer cities in the state of Indiana, for example. Dan, I was wondering kind of what has changed or what or how has the Fort Wayne Convention Center changed over the years in order to market itself to the increased number of competition? Well, I think, it, first of all, back in the 80s and, and uh, early 90s, it anchored downtown. Uh, like I heard earlier in your show, we weren't the most revitalized and popular downtown in the state. And as the second largest city, our civic leaders felt this was a, a strategy that would work for us to invite people to our community and then have spin-off capital investment from around the public investment of creating the convention center. And that has worked. It's taken longer, I think, than people wanted. But uh, we have three hotels downtown where we closed an old one since the convention center has been opened. We've added a ballpark. We've added uh, numerous restaurant and dining options and even some corporate headquarters have moved back downtown that uh, weren't here before. So it has really helped our community solidify our downtown, uh, help uh, create pride in the community. But it's really showcased Indiana's second largest city uh, to thousands and thousands of people. And now we're really focusing on larger than state and regional events. We're hosting three national conventions this year and two international ones. So uh, the the issue is that this process is working very well for our community for generating economic impact, but it's also adding to the quality of life of our business community and our citizens' community by you know, anchoring a large segment of our downtown in the heart of our region. John, I'm curious, when you're working on the steering committee, do you go around other convention centers, or how much are you looking at what other places are doing to differentiate what's happening, what's going, what the one in Monroe County will look like? You know, we, we have not visited uh, other sites. Uh, certainly in the architect uh, selection process, uh, we had much information, uh, both in the early uh, stages when we were discussing this with the hotelier, as well as the later stages when the steering committee was meeting with architects on expansion. 
So we're, we're getting a great deal of information uh, from architects about what's happening in other communities because it's been part of their presentation. You know, they've shown what they've done in terms of developing uh, other expansions or convention centers in other communities. Um, but, but, but we haven't made visits to other communities. Okay. But it does seem like the key is kind of establishing your own little niche. It, it is. And, he, and I was thinking while I was, while I was listening that, you know, I think one of the other attractions about Bloomington, you know, Mick touched on obviously the, the attraction of Indiana University and alumni groups. You know, we're also a, a, a walkable community. So you, convention goers can come here. Uh, you can walk to the square. You're, you, you can walk down 4th Street and find uh, lots of different ethnic restaurants. Uh, you could walk to the campus. Uh, the Beeline Trail is, uh, is part of this uh, project and a very key part of it. So it, it's that attraction element. Uh, so in some ways, this is both an attraction and retention project because we want to attract new conventions, but we want to also make sure we're retaining the, the very civic nature uh, of, of this project as well. So, um, And I, I hate to imply that Bloomington sells itself. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, we are outside of Indianapolis, the second biggest destination location uh, in the state. And that's not to disparage Fort Wayne, which I'm sure is a close uh, 2B or 3. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, people want to come back here and they, and they want to come here. I mean, when you think about uh, tourism, when you think about this as a retirement community, when you think about the lake, when you think about the arts and culture, um, People want, to, people want to come here. So uh, we are able to differentiate ourselves by talking about that part of Bloomington. I was thinking about, Dan, it's the Tin Caps, right? The, the baseball team? Yeah, it's a AAA affiliate of the major league team, the San Diego Padres. Yeah, so so when something like that happens downtown, is that do you see that as something that came because of the convention center, or is it kind of the, the reversal? Both. Both, uh, uh, one of the duties of when we decided to take a very north side old baseball park and redo it and put it downtown, there certainly was a site selection evaluating where it should go. And they looked at the riverfront and they looked at, uh, you know, improving a brownfield and more the east side of downtown. Right? Wouldn't that be a good investment of public funds? And quite frankly, uh, the team leadership uh, was looking at how do we leverage what we've already invested in the convention center with this next public investment. And so uh, the forces start to align to put it directly across the street from our convention center because convention centers like uh, density of uh, close proximity. Uh, the ballpark, like the idea of, you know, a couple of thousand people, customers, potential customers across the street, and uh, it actually uh, worked out very, very well to uh, market both of them together because there's a number of events that overflow from the convention center for evening activities into the ballpark, and even vice versa. The ballpark has put some events with their town events uh, into the convention center. So it was critically important, and both those investments have spurred additional private sector investments in our, in our downtown area. It's interesting, Dan, you described this as the economic driver downtown. I have never thought of a convention center that way at all. Um, but I guess it, it goes back to what you t you both were talking about earlier in terms of just the ripple effect throughout the community. I've always just thought of convention centers like meeting rooms in places. Mm -hmm. But um, do you have? No, uh, I would say, Sarah, it, it, it definitely is an economic <clears throat> development strategy. But it's one that's opening yourself up to compete globally in the region or even in the nation or internationally to have give you know have visitors come here and conduct their business inside our city so they can experience the rest of the city. And to do that, then they start seeing pop-up restaurants and uh, entertainment suppliers and uh, uh, other businesses and not-for-profits that serve that increased population. And uh, it's proven to be a very good uh, economic generator, not only for the impact of the visitor spending, but the fact that it anchors a corner of our downtown that's uh, uh, critical to the whole package of having a vibrant downtown. Do you, do you, either of you have data on just what you think the economic impact might be? You know, I wish um, Mike McAfee could have provided, and I know you might have talked to him, Sarah, maybe he can share this. As a member of his board, I know that Visit Bloomington tracks the amount of spending that happens, you know, and because we used to and we still do bring in softball tournaments, Mike could always tell me the economic impact of a 40-team girls fast pitch tournament was $2 million based on a formula of how many athletes were coming, what age they were, 
uh, how many parents and siblings might have to come along, and then the number of nights of the event, and then he would produce this economic impact number. That's been done for the convention center. John, if you remember that number or projections, uh, one of the two of us should should try to pull that out of our heads and memories. But certainly Mike and Visit Bloomington staff do track those numbers, and they're powerful. It's it's over well over $100 a day someone spends when they're in the community for a conference or a, a, a sporting event. And by the way, this center is being thought of as a way to expand some of our indoor court space. So if you imagine using the Twin Lakes Rec Center's five basketball courts or volleyball courts, and an event larger than that might need more, this expanded space could actually put courts in temporarily for those kind of activities and then therefore amplify the amount of space and the number of people who can come to our community and spend their dollars while they're here. So we're thinking of it in that way, that flexible multi-purpose use Got to have high ceilings, got to be able to bring in different surfaces. But Indianapolis does this remarkably well uh, in their multi-million square foot facility, and we're not going to compete with them. Uh, but there are we clearly have a sports-established culture and have attracted amateur events here for a long time. So that is a piece of the pie, too. Okay. And, and there are numbers, although I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit at this point I can't remember the exact yeah. dollar figure, <clears throat> but, it's, but we're, you're talking millions of dollars uh, generated in economic activity annually. Uh, and that was part of a feasibility study that was done as we considered expansion of the convention center. So it wasn't a number that we, that we made up or, pull, or pulled out of the air. It was part of a feasibility, formal feasibility study that was done. We did talk to Mike McAfee earlier this week. From uh, He's the executive director of Visit Bloomington. So let's hear just a, a little bit of that. People really want to come here, and, and we continue to lose groups every year. Um, just because we don't have the space for them or enough hotel rooms for them and, and things like that. So, so when it comes to Bloomington, sure, we, we you know we've we've got the demand. I mean, we it's it's there. We we we've 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 got the groups that we've lost and things like that. So, um, but it, but it's very competitive out there. Uh, Fort Wayne has got a an incredible um, convention center called the Grand Wayne Center. We're it's interesting he even mentioned the, in calling it the the Grand Wayne Center. Why why is it called that? Dan, can you can you just talk a little bit about the scope of the convention center there? Yeah, I can. Uh it's called the Grand Wayne Center for our uh community goal of providing uh, a grand place to experience Fort Wayne, a something that's exceptional in its experience. So it's built at very high quality. Uh, it's, it's not a cement floor. It's entirely carpeted, 200,000 square feet of meeting space uh, with a main hall of 50,000 square feet. It's got 13 breakout rooms. And so it's truly our goal to be a convention center. It is used by locals for special events, like you heard in your earlier program, for certain fundraisers by not-for-profits and, and, and charities. But really, their focus is... What out-of-towners can we host in our city to give them the grand experience of Fort Wayne? And so in 2018, it, it hosted 50 conventions or large corporate meetings where they're actually bringing in their national sales reps and their, their, their customers. Uh, uh, 17 of those were brand-new conventions to our city because we're in the replacement business. One convention comes here next year. you got to find a replacement next year, the year after that, because their cycle doesn't come back for three or five years. We had 33 returning conventions, uh, so we're very pleased about it. That means they had a grand experience and want to come back the next three or four years. So it's a, it's a fabulously well-done facility, and as, as you indicated earlier, there's a lot of competition of this, so quality comes into play quite a bit. Uh, proximity to their lodging comes into place, and then first and foremost, as we did a site tour for a national convention this week, is why would my members stop their daily activity to come to Fort Wayne? That's the question we have to answer all the time. And when we show them the experiences, the enjoyment, the functionality of the building, uh, the affordability of the business uh, comes into play, too, uh, we win that argument. They left town saying, yeah, we're going to go back to our board and members telling them, let's go to Fort Wayne in 2024. 
I think Mick wants to jump in here. Well, I just uh, was fortunate that Talisha is still listening, and she heard that <laughs> neither one of John's or my memories was good enough to tell us the number. So she texted and said the number of economic impact estimated to, to be generated annually is $18 million. That came from a 2012 study, which we are refreshing and should have information for the steering committee next week. And that was assuming a 40,000-square-foot expansion. So that's in the realm of... <laughs> The size of expansion being considered, that's not a, a finite number. We don't know what that will be, but that was the estimate in 2012, 18 million a year of economic impact. Okay. So, Dan, we've been talking a lot about public input, and I know even at some of the public forums that was held here in Bloomington, I saw some IU athletic officials. I mean, there's all across the board. And then, you know, you just mentioned about volleyball. Well, you got to make sure you have tall ceilings. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to think about. How much public input does the Fort Wayne Center have, and how does that affect what happens there? Uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of debate of uh, why we're doing this and, and how much money should go into it. But it was uh, proven to be a, a good decision by us back in 1985, 86, when the feasibility studies were being done. And today, uh, a considerable amount of input was put into whether we should move the ballpark across the street. And that was actually a very controversial decision that uh, passed on a council vote of four to three. And now if you talk to any council members and even citizens, they would all say, well, it was a wonderful idea. I'm glad I didn't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a scenario where the citizens uh, sometimes have to follow the leadership of their community. Uh, but they're rightfully asking the questions why and how much and, and what are we doing this for. But if you have a good, good business plan, a good strategic plan for being competitive in the community, it will pay off in the long run. I'm a strong believer in the convention and tourism business, not because I work in it as a career professional like Mike does, who, by the way, is a wonderful guy and great for your community. Uh, it, it's because this works. I can see those $18 million, and I can count them, and we can point the jobs that those things are generated because uh, good marketing, good quality building a building is paying off for our community. John, are there specific things that the steering committee has to consider because Bloomington is a university town? Um, you know what we've—it's—it's it's simply the advantage that we have by the fact that we're a university town. Um, you know, so we've talked about um, how we take advantage of that. But Mick's already pointed out that you know the fact we've got six hundred thousand living alumni who who are always looking for reasons to come back. Um, it's it's not a it's not a university project, however. You know, it's a it's a public project. I know your lead in mentioned Bloomington city leaders have been considering the expansion for quite some time. You know, it's actually it's the Monroe County Convention Center, and what's worked um, well to date is the fact that the uh, this is a partnership between both county government and city government. The county government passing a food and beverage tax, city government uh, dedicating its portion of that tax to the expansion. There's still some details that have to be worked out between those two partners as we move forward. Um, and the more quickly those details are worked out, the more quickly the project uh, can advance. But uh, back to your question about the about the university, we you know it, it's simply part of that self promotion of what of what makes Bloomington Bloomington. Mm -hmm. So, Mick, what's the <clears throat> excuse me the next step? I think I heard uh, May. We're kind of wrapping up here. Uh, May was going to be the next time that convergence designs kind of came back with more of a cost proposal, but I haven't heard much since then. So the steering committee meets next Thursday, May 23rd, and the architectural team will come back along with the sub-consultant Rob Hunden and associates Rob Hunden. The principal will be there. He will be updating the steering committee about um, sort of the, the options that were listed on the site. Options had various square footage amounts, and he's going to try to give us some sense of what's the right square footage box that we should be building based on what kind of business we'll generate. So we're being sensitive that we could build something X big, but that may be too much, or we could build something Y big, and that may be too small and not get enough business that we're trying to get. So Rob will help us um, understand the market better, uh, understand the, the proper size of the host hotel that we'll need, and a little bit about the economic drivers of both of those things together in the Bloomington market. And we also hope the steering committee uh, hopes to narrow down the number of site plans from, I think there's four still on the table, to something less than that so we can at some point in the near future take a step forward with the design team to start actually designing something 
uh, instead of designing for things. So that those are the two goals for next week, get the information, let the steering committee mull that over, hopefully get some uh, guidance from the steering committee about how comfortable they are with what they hear next week and then move to the next step of the process. And, and to add to that, I think, too, as we've looked at those four Four current proposals, they have different price tags, mm-hmm. and that has to be examined very realistically. Um, you know, what we um, – my three adult children, I spent a lot of time trying to describe to them the difference between what they wanted and what they needed, and uh, <laughs> uh, and wasn't that successful with them. And that's really where we are right now, too, which is what we what we want and what we need and what we can afford. Those all may be different things, and that's still where we need to get. Really? And I would say that just that is my experience with every project I've ever been a part of. We all start with, but I want, and we all end up at this is what we can do. And we just have to make sure what we can do meets the economic and other goals we have for the project. We only have about a minute left, but um, just to try to visualize where exactly this is going to go. I know the city recently bought the Bunger and Robertson building. So what's what area exactly is in play here? Really, the the area from 4th Street where you just mentioned, um, Bunger and Robertson being that northern boundary just across from uh, 3rd Street where the existing convention center is, all the way south to 2nd Street on city and county-owned land behind the Courtyard Marriott all the way down to the 2nd Street corridor by Kroger and Wendy's. Uh, to the east, you have the Napa site and the vacant lot next to that. And to the west, you have the county's existing surface parking lot next to Um, uh, next to Madison Street. So it's kind of a big T that all surrounds the existing convention center, and and that's all in play. So far, most of the site plans have gone to the north, um, and and those reasons will be explored more by the steering committee, and they'll have to decide if north, south, east, or west is the appropriate way to go. Okay. And, I, and I think the good the good news is 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 that we're not constrained by land. I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know there's there's excellent opportunity both north and south uh, for this to take place. So uh, that's a that's a good thing we're dealing with right now. Okay. Unfortunately, we are out of time today. I want to thank our guests, Mick Ernison, John Weichart, Dan O'Connell, and also Talisha Kopic. For co-host Joe Wren and producers Binta Boothier and Kathy Knapp, engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Sarah Whitmire. This has been Noon Edition. Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.